0: So I want to show you, in the life of David today, uh, how he he became really emotional, and then also how he processed his emotions, because I feel there's a powerful lesson. In this experience with David, I'm going to set the story up. It's basically from 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18. Surely I don't have time to read all those, um, but I would encourage you to go back and read them. But this is kind of the culmination of all these chapters. I'm going to give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Um, David David had just fallen with Bathsheba. Um, the son that, she, that Bathsheba had ended up dying. Uh, David was rebuked by the prophet Nathan for his sin. Um, and, and Nathan said in his prophecy that your family is going to divide itself, it's going to be divided against one another, and, and this is the story where that begins to happen, and David had, at this point, David had a couple of sons, one of his sons was named Solomon, he was known as the wisest man to ever walk the planet, and, and he, he, he was also one of the greatest kings over Israel ever, who, who brought glory to his father, he really brought honor to his father's name, come on, a good son like that, you, you're proud of him, right? He's the one you're talking to everybody out at, at the, at the barbershop, right? He's the son you're bragging on. But then you always got this other son. <laughs> I just got one, so Ethan, you're good. <laughs> He's not even here. He's not doing good right now. No. <laughs> but, but he had this son named Absalom, and Absalom became a disgrace, a total disgrace to his father. Absalom, the Bible says, was a very handsome man. And when the Bible calls you handsome, bro, you handsome. You just soon be proud because if God said you're handsome, then shoot, ain't no sense in being humble. (laughs) I mean, I see none of y'all's names in the Bible and it said T-boy is handsome. (laughs) But, But Absalom had this moment where his sister was raped by a guy and Absalom wanted to take revenge. And David told him not to take revenge, but to spare the guy's life. But Absalom went against what his father's instructions were and went and he had the guy killed. And his dad basically rebukes him and, and pretty much runs him out of the out of the nation for a while and Absalom has this season of where he 's just sitting away from his family and 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 it's like it's if if you look back from a parenting standpoint it 's almost like he had too much time in the corner what do you, what do you call that now they don 't punish it they don 't whip him He had too much time out too much time out leaves too much room for the devil to work. That was a free parenting tip. Y'all, nobody's writing. Um, but he has this moment outside of the kingdom, and he's, 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 you think he would be getting better, but he's getting bitter. And then finally, he, one of David's guys says, man, you need to bring your son home. And so David calls him back home. He comes home, and uh, it doesn't really say if they really made up as much or not. And then, and then Absalom's just kind of hanging around, but he's bitter now. There's something in his heart that's changed. It started, it came out first when he, he went against his father's orders and he had the guy killed. And now it's manifesting. It's starting to build inside of him. And what he's doing now is he's, he's starting to manipulate the people of Israel. He's, he's starting to manipulate even David's, even some of David's advisors and his close friends and his military guys. And he's, he's just under under kinda under the radar, just manipulating everywhere he goes. People would, would normally come to the king to get advice or wisdom. Absalom would meet him in the street And he would give him the wisdom right there to to kind of bypass his father. And eventually what happens is, is he starts to turn the heart of the people of the nation of Israel to him and away from his father. He takes a big chunk of the military and he turns them to him. He takes some of David's advisors, turns them to Absalom. And all of a sudden Absalom's coming up with this coup to take over his daddy's kingdom. To which he, at one point, he leaves the nation with a bunch of people. And then he's coming back to take over. He's coming back with a military force, with advisors, all taken from his dad to come back and take over from his father and to basically kill his dad and run him out of the kingdom or whatever would would take place. And so so David's advisors go, we got to run. We got to run. We're outnumbered. It's not good that we stay here. We got to run. So David grabs his family, grabs some of his military guys, a few advisors, and he takes off. Now think about this. His son's coming to kill him and take his place. Think about what he's feeling. Now he's running for his life. Sound familiar when when Saul was chasing him? Sound like a past hurt and a wound coming back up? David's running again. You think about all that time he had in the wilderness, all the suffering he had, sleeping in caves and all those things, and now he's running again, and then it gets even worse than that. He He's going, and he's traveling through this city that used to used to favor King Saul years ago, and there's this one guy who must have been like Saul's greatest fan, and this guy's like mad at David. So David's coming through with his little entourage, and this guy comes out of his house and starts cursing David. I ain't going to tell you what he said, but he was cursing David, and he's cursing him, and he's cursing him, and he's not quitting. Eventually, he picks up rocks and starts throwing rocks at the king, and at one point, David's military guy goes, right, I'm about to take this sucker out, and David goes, no, maybe God wants me to walk through this, but the guy doesn't stop. He starts throwing dirt in the air. He's cursing. He follows them, and he's, he's, you're a murderer. You're a until finally David and his, his, his group find a, a city with a little bit of a wall and a refuge. And they get there to get settled in. And then, and then Absalom's coming to chase down his father and to kill him. And David's mighty man says, um, we need to go after him. David says, I think you're right. David didn't want to go to war against his son. It's his own flesh and blood. It's his son. They had a bad past, but... He didn't want to go to war against his son. One of his advisors says, you need to stay here. So David listens, stays there. David's at the gate when the army's walking through the gate to go and attack his son. And David says that he makes this statement, whatever you do, spare Absalom's life. And everybody heard it. So the battle happens. David's army pushes Absalom's armies back. They start to retreat. Absalom's there on a horse. He's he's trying to retreat. He's got long beautiful hair. I guess you can be biblically handsome with long, beautiful hair. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Uh, And his hair, the Bible says, gets caught in a thicket, and his horse rides out from underneath him, and basically he's just dangling from his hair in this thicket. And David's mighty men find him, stab him a couple of times, and then the, the, the soldiers basically execute him. They throw him in a pit, throw a bunch of stones on top of him, And then they send messengers back to David. The armies retreated. We had victory. And by the way, your son is dead. Which is where we pick the story up in 2 Samuel chapter 18. I know that was a lot, but I had to build the story up because it's a lot in the story. 2 Samuel 18 verse 33 I want you to see this. David is a man. David is a godly man. In fact, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He was a man of war, a man of valor. David was strong. It says this, verse 33, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. I believe that that, that this part of scripture tells us, lets us see a little bit of what David went through. I think this is a part in the Bible where we get to, we get to kind of tap into what David's feeling in the moment. So he's, he's overcome, the Bible says, with emotions, like he's about to lose it, right? And, and instead of losing it in front of the people, he goes into the upper room above the gate and then the Bible says he just burst into tears. You ever burst into tears before? You ever almost lose it before? You ever have one of those types of moments He just lost his son. Everything's fallen apart. It's fallen apart because of his sin. Last week we talked about how sin can cause our our suffering sometimes. Other people's sin and even our own sin. This was all prophesied to happen as a consequence of his sin. Think about how he's feeling. My son is dead because of my sin. Get you some of that. What is he feeling? The story doesn't give us a whole lot of details, but here's the beauty of the Bible, and this is why it's important to read your Bible. Because Psalms 31 is actually David's letter to God. He he writes down from his journal a letter to God, or he shares with us from his journal his moment with God. And this is where we're going to pick up the lesson today. Psalms 31, uh, from what I've studied, is the psalm that fits this big old story right here. And it was the moment that David went through this. I believe it was the moment he was. In the the upper room, and he burst into tears i believe that 's where psalms thirty one comes from uh, it 's my own personal belief and when you look at psalms chapter thirty one I think you need to cut it into three categories and this is very important, and I want you to pay attention psalms thirty one needs to be cut into three categories: the first category from verse one to eight talks about how David came to God. It talks about his his posture when he comes to God. Now, we all know the Bible says to come boldly to the throne room of God. It says to come boldly. Don't come, you know, half-hearted. It says to come boldly. But you got to make sure you understand what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that when you come to God, you can come bold, but you still need to come with the right attitude. Make sense? So verse one to eight, David comes to God and he brings honor to God. You see, when you walk in the room with God, you need to have some honor in your hands, some honor in your mouth. You need to praise and lift up his holy and his righteous name. You need to talk about his bigness and his goodness. You don't just walk in and say, I need this. You probably ain't gonna get it. But he comes and he says, oh God, you're mighty, you're strong, you can deliver, you can, and he's building God up. In fact, the model prayer that Jesus gave the disciples in the New Testament was this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? That's the same thing. It's, it's us posturing ourselves to give God glory and to give him honor and the praise that's due to him just to start the conversation. And I'll tell you, if you'll approach God that way, It'll be a different experience. Then I think part two is where, where David just honestly just gets real with God. He begins to just give God what he's got. And we're going we're to talk about that today. And then, and then part three of Psalms 31 from verse 14 on, you'll notice that David burst out into praise. Now let me put it together for you. When you come to God, you come with honor. And then you get real And when you get real, then you get a different perspective. And when you get a different perspective, you start to get praise bubbling up on the inside of you. You'll open your mouth with no music on and begin to sing. And it might even sound good. And you'll start busting up and you'll write new lyrics. I wrote the goodness of God a long time ago. That was years ago I wrote that song. Somebody else just finally caught on. Are you with me? You come to him right, you get real with him, and then what comes out of that is praise. Is this making sense? So all three parts are vital, but I want to focus on the second part today. So David wrote a little over half the Psalms. He wrote wrote down his thoughts, his praise, his emotions, his experiences. He didn't hold nothing back from God. David had a relationship with God that he could just be David. He didn't have to be anything else. He didn't have to be King James. If he was Cajun, he could have just been Cajun. Right? So put the King James down. Stop disguising your voice and just be who he's called you to be when you get with him. So let's look at Psalms 31, verse 9 to 13. Listen, listen, I want you to listen with your heart this morning. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. Now, what is David doing right here? He's just getting real with God. Are you seeing this? He's just getting real with God. If it hurts, say, ouch. If you're sad, say, I'm sad. Don't dress it up. Don't purty it up. Don't put lipstick on the pig. Let it be. Amen? Go to God how you feel. He's big. He can take it. He gave you the emotions. You walk in the room with honor, and then you get real. He makes him confessions. He tells God how he's feeling. He shares his thoughts. He says this. He says, I'm in distress. I'm crying. I'm weeping. He feels like his body and soul are withering away. The grief is, is killing him, he says. He says he feels like his life has been shortened by sadness, and he's weak from his sin, and he's wasting away. Wow. Just giving it to God like it feels. Then then David starts to say some things that aren't 100% true. Listen to what he says. He, he, he says, My enemies and my neighbors. He puts his enemies and his neighbors in the same category. Isn't it funny when you're going through an emotional uh, instant that you can start to think, Everybody's against me? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? You alive this morning? It's like you'll be going through something, and all of a sudden, Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. Come on, isn't that true? When you're going through something tough, you're going through a relation, especially a relational issue with somebody, we have this tendency to say, everybody hates me. Is it true? No. Not everybody hates you. God still loves you. <laughs> All the people on the planet might not like you, but God likes you. He <laughs> says... He says, my friends are afraid to come near me. All of them, when they walk, uh, they see me on the street, they they all go the other way. It's not true. Because some of them walked with him when he was escaping. Right? So not all of them hate you. Not all of them run from you. You see, the problem is, is our mind, left unchecked, and our beliefs, left, left unchallenged, start to run wild. It's like, it's like cows with no fence. They just go wherever they want to, right? They just run wild. If your thoughts are never challenged and your thoughts are never caught captive, then they run wild. And when they run wild, then your emotions get wild. And when your emotions get wild, then you get wild, David said some truths, but there were some untruths in there. Let me show you how David did this because it's important. It's a quick, it's a quick lesson within a lesson. It says, how did, how did he learn all this about himself? Let me show you something from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You ought to write this down. It says, as many of you have heard this verse, but I think it goes, it gets used a lot, but it doesn't get explained a lot, and I want to make it clear today. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's something that we should do with ourselves and even with other people that we're engaged with or doing life with. We need to come against things that come against the knowledge of God. And then here's the, here's the key part. It says, and when and we take captive every thought to make it obedient Christ this verse tells me that I am responsible for every thought that I have I can't be responsible for Cheryl's thoughts though I can help her with them I am responsible for every thought that I have what is the Bible saying think about what you're thinking about we need to give some time to process our thoughts beliefs pretensions and intentions it's okay to challenge your current belief system. That's what happens when I read my Bible. <laughs> you see, a lot of us don't like for people to challenge us, right? I, they don't like for us to question us. I got a friend that he questions everything and it burns me. Honestly, it rubs me raw because I'm like, dude, quick question and everything. I'm getting confused. <laughs> but he'll question and he'll question and he'll question. And I'm like, I don't want to answer the questions because I might have to change my mind. And I don't like to change my mind. Come on, you're laughing because you feel me. When I read my Bible, it changes my belief system. I believe, I have a natural tendency to believe that what everybody said about me from day one to now is true. When I read my Bible, it tells me that ain't true. That I've been fearfully and wonderfully made, created by the hand of God. My thoughts need to be challenged. Your thoughts need to be challenged. They need to be challenged by the word of God. If you're not challenging your thoughts with the word of God, you're running wild. You don't got out the <laughs> Maybe this will help you understand. Have you ever had a kid... Or, or like a teenager or somebody, and and you told them to do something, and they and you know that you knew they didn't want to do it, right? And 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 you, you see, you go, hey, I need you to do this, and they go, oh, yeah, I'm speaking your language now, right? And you go, listen, and, and I, I'm I'm to the point now. Where I go, I know you don't want to do this, but you're gonna do it anyway. And, it, and and all these years have proved to you that, that I'm gonna have my way. <laughs> and I go, so so I need you to do this, and they go. All right. And then they turn around, and have you ever had them kind of murmur something? Huh? Anybody ever have? Your kids kind of turn around and they say something? And you know, you know what they said, right? Because you used to do the same thing to your parents, right? It's just you got better at it and you got quieter with it, but you would say it too. So when, they, when you hear that, if you're like me, you kind of go, Stop. Turn around. Come here. What you said? I didn't nothing. Yes, you did. Tell me what you said. And if they don't tell me, I can usually tell them what they said. You said this and they're like, you need to keep your kids amazed. You need to make them believe you got this connection with heaven that's 24-7. It works. <clears throat> what did you do in that moment? You took them captive, stop, come back here, What did you say? And then you addressed what they said, right? Which usually means you addressed an attitude that was in their heart, right? And you've taken them captive and you brought them back into the obedience of daddy or mama, right? The Bible says to take every thought captive and bring it back into the obedience of Christ. So when you think about what you're thinking about, and your mind is running wild, anybody's mind runs wild sometimes. Anybody lays on the pillow at night, and you lay on this side, and you, and you, you I gotta go sleep. I, I gotta be up in a couple hours, quit thinking. And then you, you lay on this side, and there's something else. Oh, I can't think about that neither. And you lay on your back, and am I the only one? Okay, Cheryl said yes. Oh, okay, sorry we got to take those thoughts captive. Because chances are, if your thoughts are wild, your emotions will be wild, which leads to your actions becoming wild. We're called, we're responsible for our thoughts. Where does the enemy mess with you? Nine out of ten times it's in your thoughts. He's planting lies. When Jesus went into the desert, what did the enemy do? He came at his mind. Take your thoughts captive. Don't let them run. Put a fence up. Supercharge the electric fence so they never get out. (laughs) But here's the truth. You can't learn if you never go to class. You'll never experience this until you stop long enough to think about what you're thinking about. Because too many of us for too long have been acting out of what we're thinking. And your thinking's been jacked up. And because your thinking's been jacked up, your actions have been jacked up, and your emotions are all over the place. Can I say stop? Can we stop? Can we challenge our belief system? Let me give you a couple of lies and excuses this morning that some of us will go through, and then I'm going to get into some practical points. Here's a lie for you. Some of you may say this. <clears throat> if not, you may have heard somebody say that. You can play it that way. Um, it's not that bad. <laughs> Ever say that? Oh, it's, it's not that bad. You know, it's it's, it's going to be okay. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be better tomorrow. Uh, uh, it's, it's not that bad. What are you doing? You're downplaying the severity of what's going on to try to make yourself feel better without having to deal with it. You see that? You're downplaying it to make yourself feel better so you don't have to deal with it. It's not that bad. Maybe you've used this excuse. I am just tired. i have had a long week and I'm just tired. And you're acting like a couillon and your reason is because you're tired. Let's dissect that for just a second. Do you know what you're telling the people around you? When you use that excuse? Like you just your emotions got all out of whack and you lost it and you go, Wow, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. You gotta give me some space, I'm just tired. You know what you're telling everybody around you? Uh Uh-oh, every time they're tired, they're going to act this way. This is what else you're telling them. Well, when I'm tired, I should be acting this way. So watch this. With your kids, you're actually modeling and teaching them that when I'm tired, I can act like a couillon. In fact, it's expected of me to act this way when I'm tired. You see the collateral damage that's happening? Anybody? Shake your head something. Come on, somebody. This is good stuff. I don't care what you say. You you can't use the excuse, I'm tired, because then every time somebody else is tired, then they get to act that way. And if you punish them because they acted that way because they were tired, and you always act that way when you're tired, then that's called hypocrisy. And parents can be very hypocritical. And don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. (laughs) I should have heard a couple of amens right there. Maybe you've heard this or said this or thought this or somebody's told you this. You're overreacting. You're just overreacting. What are they telling you? They're telling you you need to put your feelings in a box and file them away. Ain't nobody got time for these emotions. Maybe you've heard this one. Get it together. You just need to get yourself together. What are they telling you? You need to hurry up and suck it up so that you don't embarrass anybody. Does that help? Does following it away help? Does, does sucking it up help? Boy, I've used that one on my kids a lot of times. And I'm, I've, that's one thing I can honestly tell you from this message I regret doing is telling my kids to suck it Now suck it up. What did I do? I just taught them how to suppress their emotions and their feelings that are meant to be expressed and not suppressed. And now they're going through life with all this junk going on on the inside of them, and they don't even know how to let it out. Because they spend the rest of their life just sucking it up. Lies and excuses. Let me give you some questions to help you identify what you're going through. Five questions. I'm going to give them to you. Number one, what am I feeling? David felt something. you got to ask the question, what am I feeling right now? When, when something happens to you, you need to pause for a second. What am I feeling? Is it anger? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it doubt? Is it struggle? Is it sadness? What is it? What am I feeling? You need to identify what you're feeling. David said this. He says, I'm distressed. That meant that something suddenly is out of order. It's going against the plans. He felt threatened. He felt under attack. Then he said uh, he felt sadness. He didn't like what was happening. A loved one was hurting or being led astray. Then he said he felt withered. He felt like something was dying in his body and in his soul. One translation even says in his bones. And he felt it in his bones. He said, I feel death. Something's killing me. He said, I feel lost, the sadness of what it feels like to lose something. He said, I feel weakness. His sins were, has stolen his strength. Then he said, I feel like I'm, I'm wasting away, like something inside of me feels like it's falling apart. You need to identify what you're feeling. It doesn't take long. Like, what am I feeling right now? What am I feeling? What's going on with me? Chances are it's inside of you. But if you never ask the question, you never get to know what's going on. And listen to me, I don't want you to understand this wrong. You're not going to change overnight. Your emotions change over time. As your thoughts change, your emotions begin to change. But you've got to start working on it now. If you're going to drive from here to California, you ain't going to get there till you start. Right? Get in the car, put it in, drive and go. Number two, where am I feeling it? You need to identify this. Where am I feeling it? He tells tells God where it hurts inside. He says, In my soul, in my body, in my heart, it's hurting. You ever go through something and you feel it in different places? Where am I feeling it? You need to identify that. Number three, what do I notice about my body? It's big. No, it ain't big. (laughs) What's your heart rate? What's your posture? I mean, when you're going through something, do you put a leg back like you're getting ready to drop kick somebody? Does your, does your fist start to clench? Does the veins in your head start to get big? See, I, my veins show. I ain't got nothing to hide them. What's going on in your body? I'll get mad sometimes. I'll get so mad, I'll feel my heart rate right here. I mean it's like I feel like it's sticking out like this like it's going boo, boo, Anybody ever get that man? That's uh, Good, You're a bunch of righteous people. I'm praying. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Y'all just get to listen. I, I've been so mad and so so furious at times that I, I get what's what's like blinders. Like like if I if I'm if me and Cheryl are going, I'll get like blinders. Like everything else just blurs out. Oh, a couple of you shaking your head. Come on, I'm starting to. Mm-hmm. You got to pay attention to what's going on in your body. What's happening? Are you sweating? Pastor, I swear it all the time. I hear you, brother. It's okay. Is you, are you flashing? What's going on? Pay attention. Number four. What are you reacting to? You need to ask the question what am I reacting to right now? What is it that's causing me to feel this way? Is it something that somebody said? Is it something that somebody did? Or is it something somebody didn't say? Come on, guys. This is a free lesson right here. Sometimes you get in trouble for what you didn't say. Like, baby, you look good. I like that dress. Oh, your hair is fine. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a classic. Oh, you got a haircut today? Yeah, when you don't say that, you get in trouble. And then they got to ask themselves, well, what am I reacting to? What he didn't say? (laughs) Or was it what wasn't done Was it the person's attitude when they said it? Here's here's a good one. Was it that I wasn't prepared? Is it that I just wasn't prepared to go through this, wasn't prepared to talk about this, wasn't prepared to deal with this right now? Or maybe it's my thoughts about myself, the other person, the situation, or even God. What am I reacting to? Good so far? And then number five, I'm going to ask this question, what am I thinking? What am I thinking about myself right now? What am I thinking about the other person right now? What am I thinking about the situation right now? I want to teach you a word. Some of you may not know this word or what, what this word means. <clears throat> but David, had, David made it a life habit to do this thing called lamenting. David would lament before God. Uh, a, a lament is to ha- is is a powerful expression of how you feel. I'm going to define that again. To lament is to powerfully express. Get the word powerful. is to powerfully express what you're feeling. That's called a lament. That's what we read in Psalms 31 from verse 13. I mean, verse 9 to 13, is David is lamenting to God. What does that mean? That means you powerfully express what you're feeling inside to God. What's happening in in the moment of lamenting is everything that's inside of you is starting to come out, which is a good thing. It needs to come out. If it doesn't come out, it causes more damage. So David learned how to lament. He learned how to let what was going on in here come out of his mouth to God. You lament to the right people. You don't lament on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. You lament to God. Some people lament more on Facebook than they ever do to God. And they don't even know what it's called. He would tell God what he felt, how he felt it a lot of the times. When you're lamenting, you get to hear yourself, how you feel and what you're thinking. You see, when I'm hurting, when I'm disappointed, when I'm going through something, my goal is to get to God. The best source that I have, the best resource that is, in my, in my, that is available to me is my relationship with God. Uh, it comes before a counselor. It comes before anybody else, a professional. It comes before my wife. I go to God. I tell people all the time, you better go to God before you come to me because I ain't God. Amen? Some people put pastors as gods. We're not gods. We're human. We sweat, get dirty, and stink just like everybody else does. Some of us more. (laughs) He goes to God. His greatest resource, his greatest asset is he goes to his relationship with God and he begins to just let it out. So powerful. When I'm going through something, my goal is to get into the presence of God. Why? Because I don't want to spend time trying to get it from everybody else and waste their time, waste my time, bring them into my drama, get them all wound up. I just want to go straight to God, deal with it if I can with God. If I'm so bad that I can't even hear from God or lament right, then I'll go to somebody else and say, hey, let me process this with you so I can kind of somewhat get a thought clear and then go to God again. Make sense? Go to God, tell him how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, how I feel it, and the way I think it. And then the the beauty happens. There's power in lamenting. It never fails that as I'm lamenting to God and this stuff is coming out of me, I begin to hear myself and then I begin to see what's inside of me. And it's amazing because God is such a good God that he'll just stand there. And he'll listen. And he's patient. Because some of you are long-winded. He's patient. That was a joke. (laughs) He's patient. But at some point, he goes, now here's the truth. He'll listen. But then it comes to a point where he goes, okay, now here's the truth. Because we come to him with all our junk like David did, right? Everybody hates me. All my friends, they run to the other side of the street. No, David, not all of them. That was just four. You get to see, you get to get a better perspective. He allows you to get it all out. And as it's coming out, you get to hear it and see it. Can I tell you that lamenting is a big deal? It's a practice not known to many Christians today. We have too many other resources to throw up on, too many other people that we put our burdens on, instead of going to God first. Amen? I learned to lament almost by accident. Nobody had ever taught me. I didn't even know what the word was. I didn't, I didn't know how to define what happened to me until years later when somebody taught me what it meant to lament. That <laughs> was kind of funny. When somebody taught me what lamenting meant. I had a moment. As a, as a kid, I grew up. God positioned me and my family to where I was. I had just incredible favor with my family. My mom dies. I get her inheritance and my uncle's inheritance. My, my grandmother dies. I get her brother's inheritance. I now have more inheritance than my, my six or seven living uncles and aunts. Okay? God positioned me up above them when it came to inheritance. And so when my grandmother died... I went in to, to do her funeral, and, and, and the whole scene was they were trying to get back from me. My uncles were, were trying to get back from me everything that my grandmother had left to me, and it caused a big old fight in the family. Anybody have a little inheritance fight before you know, you feel my pain? And so, so what happened is my uncle, who was closest to me, I believe the rest of them got him because they knew we were close. He was like a daddy to me. They got him to come after me, and he called me up one day, and he just, he just let me have it, just ripped me. Your grandmother didn't love you like that. She was making plans to change that before she died. She just died before it could change, and blah, blah, blah. And he just said things. I mean, he would just cut me. wrong, 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 To the point where I was in tears. I remember exactly where I was sitting, where I was, what I felt. Just cut me. This is the man I had respect for. This is the man I was closest to. After it all settles, 2 years go by. And I'm drive to Franklin because it's time to make amends. It's time to make this, it's time to just it's time to get it right. And I go and he's home and I pull up in his driveway and he meets me in the driveway and he looks at me. He used to call me Bubba in those days. And he looked at me and he goes, "Bubba, you can leave. I ain't got nothing to say to you." That's after 2 years. I was hurt again. I backed my truck up. I got on the road, and I started heading back to Jennings from Franklin, two-hour drive. I don't even get to the highway, and I was overcome with emotions. When I read that story of David, that, that is what I experienced. I was overcome with emotions. I just lost it in the truck. I'm the only one in there. I'm losing it. I burst into tears. I'm crying my eyes. I don't even know what's going on with me, to be honest with you. I just, it just came to a point where I just couldn't hold it back anymore, and it just all came out. You see, that's what happens when you suppress stuff. Sooner or later, it comes out. And when it comes out, it ain't pretty. I'm losing it. I'm crying. Then I start to tell God what I'm feeling. And I'm going to do my best to tell you or to example to you what it sounded like and what it looked like. I'm not proud of it. But it was real. I'm in my truck. I'm crying my eyes out. And I start hollering at God. I should have let them have it. I should have let them have everything. I ruined the whole family. I dishonored my mama. I dishonored my grandmother. I messed it all up. I should have just let them have it. You messed me up, God. And I'm going on and on and on. And the one time that I have heard God get strong with me was that moment when God said, stop. That's enough. And it was the loudest I'd ever heard his voice. And this is what he said to me. He said, I set you up when you were born. I put you in that position. I am pulling you out of this. Use Use the word plucking. I'm plucking you out of this family, and I'm moving you over here because I'm starting something new. I did that. I set that up. I prevented your grandmother from changing her mind about things. I'm the one that gave you all that. I did that because I love you, and I have a plan for your life. And I was sitting there, and you know, the insta-dry, the kind of, like when daddy talks, you go, now watch this. I had no clue what was going on. I didn't know what I was doing. All of a sudden, the tears dry up. My perspective changed. God brought truth that canceled out the lies I was believing. And then the third part of Psalms 31 Where David breaks out into praise, I broke out into praise. I can't remember if the music was playing or not. I was writing songs in those days. (laughs) And I just begin to tell God how awesome he is, how wonderful he is. Think about this. In a matter of an hour, I went from being totally crushed, lamented, got empty, and then started praising and got refilled with his spirit. Within an hour, I wasn't even to Jennings yet. This is on the interstate. At one point, I thought I was going to pull over because I, I couldn't drive i couldn't see. You see it That's lamenting Now it was five, six, eight years later that somebody I think it was Jennifer taught me what lamenting was I was like, well, dang, that's what happened to me ten years ago. I lamented I did <laughs> It's an accidental lamenting, I guess I don't know. If you leave it inside, it creates more pressure. Now you go from being just a hurt person with a hurt issue and a hurt situation to now everything is hurting you. Because everything is coming on top of what you've already got suppressed inside of you. God gave you emotions to let go of what's inside of you. And He wants you to lament because when you stuff, you get bloated. I got this analogy I want to use, and it'll help you understand, but it's, it's a little gross. Y'all give me permission to say it? Lamenting, God. lamenting is like taking a laxative. It flushes you out, right? Because if all that stuff stays in, it causes more damage. You see, when it comes to us as a body of believers, the Bible can say before the sun goes down on your anger, you need to go take care of your issues with your brother. Why? Because he already gives us the process of how to take care of our emotions, how to change our perspective, and to go and to bring reconciliation. Why? Because the enemy wants to get in between you. God doesn't want there to be this vast space of time where we go from being hurt to finally one day starting to mend. Now it's not gonna change overnight, but you can start to shorten the distance. Yeah. We fight better now. <sighs> what does that mean? That means we learn how to make up better. We both know about each other and we know to say the only way this is going to end if I just accept what's mine. Yeah. Right? <sighs> Can't leave it inside. You were created not to hold that. Peter said, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. If you don't cast, you carry. Come on. If you don't cast, you carry. How long do you want to carry? Two verses and I'm going to let you go. Romans 8.26. I want to give you just something to hang on to this morning. Romans 8.26 The Bible says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, this is just an example. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So here's the, here's the help. You have the Holy Spirit with you. If you're a born-again believer, if you've given your life to Jesus and you've accepted what he's done on the cross, then you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And he is your helper. He's here to help you. One of the examples in Jesus describing how the Holy Spirit helps us is that even when you don't know what to pray for, watch this, he prays for you. In my pickup truck, leaving Franklin, coming back, the Holy Spirit was helping me. I didn't even know it. You see how much God loves us. John 14:26, I mean 14:16 from the message translation says this, Jesus once again speaking, he says, I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend, say friend, so that you will always have someone with you. The friend is the Holy Spirit. I will provide for you a friend. Who will always be with you. Ha, you're never alone. You're never alone. You're all alone. No, you're not. Your friend is with you. He can't leave you because God sent him to be with you. He's with you. Amen? Challenge him. Don't just feel it and let it go. Don't just feel it and suppress it. Don't just feel it and think it's not a big deal. Don't excuse it. Don't lie it. Don't don't give it a way out. Your feelings are your feelings. Your emotions are your emotions. Deal with them before they deal with you. Amen? That's true for guys and girls. I'm a man. I don't second guess that. I have emotions. I'm not an emotional man. I'm a man with emotions. Amen? Amen? Amen. Learn how to express them the right way. Bring them to God. Challenge them. Don't let your thoughts run crazy. Amen?